This is the Bushwick Variety Show, and I'm Alex Stevens III. Greetings, neighbors, friends, citizens of the world, and conscious beings of all various types. Thank you so much for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show. This episode features some of the creatives involved with the play currently running right now at the tank. It's closing this weekend, this Sunday, the 23rd. It's called The Journey. So it features writer-director Joshua Crone and actress Jessica Van Neel. We had a great conversation about that play. Um, In that particular play, um, I was considered for a couple of roles in it. Didn't end up getting cast, but really loved the play and enjoyed getting to know Joshua Crone a little bit through it and did did indeed see the play last week and... While sometimes when there's things you were somewhat involved in, there's a part of your brain you can't turn off. Um, I had a really good time watching the play and was able to enjoy it and turn that that part of my brain off and just enjoy the play. Um, So I hope you enjoy the conversation. I really love what the play is about. I'm not going to give away too much about that now because we're going to talk about it in this conversation But I will say, if you love chocolate, go and see The Journey at the Tank. The the links for the tickets will be in the show notes. So check that out. And yeah, without further ado, we'll get right into it. We we talk about the play and we talk about many other things um, about being an artist and just about being a human in this journey called life. So hope you enjoy it. This is Joshua Crone. And Jessica Van Neel, and we're going to talk about the journey. Let's have a conversation. And here we go. Um, why don't you each introduce yourself so that people listening, I mean, they'll be able to distinguish your voices, but yeah, just quick intros. Cool. Mm-hmm. I guess I'll go first. I'm Joshua Crone. Um, I wrote and directed The Journey. Um, a play that's at the tank right now, running through February 23rd. Uh, my name is Jessica Van Neel. I am an actress living in Brooklyn, and I play Shanti Marsh in The Journey. What part of uh, Brooklyn are you living in? I live in Williamsburg now. Okay, so not too far from here. No, not too far. I, I did live in Bushwick for a while and Fort Greene. I've always lived in Brooklyn. So. Are you from Brooklyn originally? No, no. I grew up in California, okay. Los Angeles area. And Josh, where did you grow up? Uh, So I moved around a lot growing up. I was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I grew up uh, upstate New York, central Pennsylvania, and then I went to high school in Florida. Okay. Um, And most recently, you were living in California. Yeah, I was in L.A. for three years uh, in Joshua Tree for a year, and then I moved out here about a year and a half ago. Cool. Um, I'm from Seattle originally, so here we are, three people who've spent some time on the West Coast in Brooklyn to have a conversation. Uh, so you are a few weeks into the production of the journey. And is this the home stretch week that we're getting into? No, we're about half. There's through. one more. Yeah. yeah so we've got more. another, we've got another, uh, six performances Cool. tonight, two more this weekend and then four more next weekend. And how's the journey of the journey going so far? I'm having a great time. I love it. I mean, it's a really interesting script. It's really fun. 
um, when I initially read the breakdown, I was like, oh, this is, I can't, like, I have to, I have to put in for this. I just felt like um, a connection to the character. Uh, and the whole process has been really great. Like from the start of rehearsals and the cast is amazing. Josh is amazing. Like we're just, I, I feel like I'm having a great time. So I'm sad that <laughs> next weekend is the last weekend, you know. That's how it is. Yeah, yeah. You get attached to the characters and to the family and um, the world that you've created. And there's always this moment when it, it comes to an end. I mean, I, I, I think a lot of actors feel this way, but I go through like a, a little dip. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like a slight depression because I feel like you, um, you create such an intimate um relationship to both the character that you're playing and then also the characters that that you're playing with so it it feels like a a farewell to something that's very special so but it's super fun i'm having a great time yeah cool i get that depression after opening night i think as a director because it's like the birds have left the nest and i'm really just not needed anymore and i'm just kind of up there running tech and watching it happen but the, like the creative part of it has, has gone out of it for me. And I know that's like the favorite time for the actors. So I think for, for the director, that's when, that's when, it, when I think when you do kind of have that dip. Um, and, I, you know, it's a, it's a three-week run. So there's, there's a lot of sort of witnessing it happen, perched, you know, way up in this little tech booth. And that's a nice experience. But for me, the, the best part of the process is, especially early on, when, mm-hmm. you're, when you're just getting to know the actors and they're just getting to know the characters and you're starting to discover things about the text that you didn't know were there and the actors are bringing in ideas and it's just very creative and energetic and exciting. And then it becomes the actor's show and I totally appreciate that. That's how it should be. But for the director, it's like kind of a sad moment, I think. You know, when, you, when, you, when, it, when it's no longer your show anymore, it's theirs. But they're doing a fantastic job with it and it's, you know, it's, it's, the ho- houses have been good. Um, Definitely, of the four shows that I've done here in New York, so of the three shows that I've done here in New York so far, um, there's been a pretty good, um, pretty good crowds attending, uh, and it's tough. You know, it's really hard to get people to come to theater in New York. So, I'm grateful for that. Um, and why don't we talk a little bit about what it's about uh, for people listening? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's um, the theme is. I guess, before I get in the actual story, I'm kind of asking whether or not uh, psychedelic therapy is like a valid form of therapy, if it really helps people or if it's just an excuse to take drugs in, in like a quasi-therapeutic setting. And so the, the way that I'm telling the story is with a, a family is served ayahuasca by two shaman, one of whom was trained as a therapist, and that's, that's the character that Jessica plays. Her name is Shanti. Her, her real name is Shauna. Um, but she rebranded herself Shanti when she was trained with an ayahuasca girl. As one does. Yeah. <laughs> Wild style. So, um, so basically, this family is taking ayahuasca together. It's a, it starts out, it's just going to be the parents, um, their three daughters, and uh, the fiancé of one of the daughters. Um, so the fiancé is kind of an important character in that he represents the audience members that he stands in for the audience members that haven't done something like this before. He's taking psychedelic drugs for the first time. He's resistant to it, and the only reason he's doing it is because he understands that this is something that's important to his future parents-in-law, um, and that basically he wants to get the father's blessing by doing this. 
Uh, so that's why he goes into it. And then we kind of experience the, the ayahuasca trip from his perspective at a few points. There are some psychedelic moments with tricks of light and, uh, and some fun stuff that the actresses do um, to imitate like a, a Hindu goddess. Mm-hmm. With multiple arms, and you know, there's some some laser lights and people blowing bubbles and stuff like that. It's you know that that part of it's the trippy fun stuff. But what what it's really about is a group of people, 14 actors total, working through their own personal problems with therapists in in a psychedelic therapy setting. So they take ayahuasca in the morning, and then the play ends. The third act is an integration where they sit down and they kind of discuss what they learned. And although that sounds static and expository, it's actually maybe even the most dramatic part of the play where we see all the conflicts that have been hinted at throughout and then we see people trying to work through them at the end. Because that's where the real work is done. Nice. Um, And for you, uh, I guess I'll ask what drew you to the project like specifically and um, were there any revelations you had? Because... It's interesting having read the script and then did the reading of the script and then seeing the play like so in different Mm -hmm. stages of the process. Each time I see it, I kind of or each time I've uh, been exposed to it, I'll say um, I've taken something else or like relate, like followed a different journey. Um, So I just wonder, yeah, what your experience was from from initially seeing the breakdown like through the mm-hmm. whole process well what initially drew me to the the story was just it was interesting it was different i hadn't seen a breakdown like it and it seemed fun um i hadn't done comedy in a long time i tend to gravitate more towards very sort of like deep dramatic intense stories um but have a side of me that is very light and jovial and i wanted to kind of explore that and then also you know shanti is um the character of shanti is um like a lot of people that i know and there's something slightly absurd about um like appropriating these like s- these spiritual um behaviors but but then also something very beautiful about it as well, and I thought it would be interesting to try and um, play in both uh, in both spaces, right? Just go, okay, what what is completely silly and ridiculous, but also um, of heart, you know, coming from a good place because you you see it a lot in spiritual communities, like you know, people get very ecstatic and very elated and they're, they're using, you know, psychedelic drugs and they're experiencing this like mind altering, mind changing, um, life altering moments. Um, and, and that's intoxicating. And then you go back to life and you have to be a real person and, and, and what sort of happens when you're trying to manage the, the surreal with the real, like how do you how do you interweave those two spaces and, and exist in the world, and and you know when does it get like a little too extra? Right? Like we've all met people like that. I have friends like that. Sometimes I'm like, okay, come back to the shore. Like let's let's ground a little bit. Um, but I don't know. It just seemed like a really fun story. And then when I got to read the whole script, I was like, oh, this is great. And there were even. Like when I initially read it, I was like, this feels almost like a Noel Coward 
piece in terms of its tempo. Like there was something about the tempo of the way that it was written and, and the way that I was like feeling it as I was reading the whole script that just, um, it was, it, it excited me as an artist. I was like, oh, this is going to be really fun to do. So yeah, I don't know. And then I don't know what the other question was. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I don't quite remember what the other <laughs> question was either. I think um, that was kind of kind of covered it. Okay. Um, One of the things that Jessica does so well uh, is that there's kind of two characters that she plays. And there's Shanti and then there's Shauna, the real woman. And there are moments where, uh, without giving away too much of the story, there are moments where Shauna shines through and we see more of the real person, not, not like the higher self that she's trying to be. And so that tension between those two, I think, is something you see a lot also in spiritual communities. And she does an excellent job of, of, of playing both of those extremes. And it's a lot of fun to watch. So. Oh, thanks. Yeah, we're just... <laughs> I think it's... A, we're really building each other up here. Maybe we should... I think it's an interesting um, thing, though, in kind of life and, like, approaching things in general. Uh, the idea of, like, faking it faking it until you making faking it until you make it is like one thing um and it's not like i think the the line on that is like it's not that you want to actually fake it but sometimes like if you want to do something you have to start doing it before you fully know how mm -hmm. um and then the trap that, that i do see sometimes in it's like spiritual communities and like uh the self help thing sometimes is People like the one that pops into mind is like Tony Robbins. He's become super successful doing this self-help thing. Um, and it's kind of his thing. And then there's other people who've kind of come behind him who've also been successful. And some of them, it seems like they're, some of them have found their own voice. And then there's a lot of people that seem to be mimicking Tony Robbins but then the other side of that is like if it genuinely helps people then then like what does it matter you know what i mean it's kind of like yoga there's a language that like a lot of yoga teachers learn mm -hmm. because if you come in there like drill sergeant everybody in a yoga class it could work i'm, I'm sure there's like drill sergeant yoga but like that's not that's kind of becomes it's a new thing i don't know yeah, I think, um, I can't remember exactly how the quote went, but Tolstoy said something to the effect that if you're trying to be a true Christian and love everyone, the, the way to do it is to start by acting as if you love people. Because mm -hmm. if you don't feel it, what do you do? You know, you wait until you feel it, wait for inspiration, or do you just start doing things that you would do if you love people the way you're supposed to as a Christian? Mm -hmm. um, and he found that the more he did that, the more he went through the motions of loving people, the more he actually started to love them. So maybe there is some validity to that approach where you, you know, you pretend to be more spiritual than you are and eventually it does sort of elevate you. Um, well, there's that, there's another quote that I don't, ha I have no idea who said it, but it's that, this idea that like energy flows where attention goes, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, you can either focus on the negative or you can focus on the positive. Um, you know, I don't think that means that uh, you don't pay attention to the discord in your life. I think it's important to acknowledge negative emotions otherwise you're just suppressing them but but maybe there's a way to acknowledge those negative emotions and feel you know whatever pain you're going through feel the sorrows 
and and still find the the pathway towards um, uh, positivity, right? With without without escaping dealing with what's challenging. So you know you can, yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah. I think there's a way to to do both. And something that happens a lot in spiritual communities is is they'll they'll ask you not to acknowledge your negative emotions or everybody's supposed to be super spiritual and they're paying attention and they're listening really hard, but you feel like you're not getting a real connection because it's so put on. And I think that's the danger uh, in, in um, faking it till you make it. Like, like what, what is the intention behind that? Right. What is, what is your intention? Um, which Shanti, by the way, for anyone listening, says a lot. She asks that question of people a lot, which is an important question. Um, you know, wh- where are you coming from? I, I feel like that I've been hearing intent, and maybe it's, you know, a, what is it? Energy goes where attention flows. Yeah. Like, I mm-hmm. wonder if, like, sometimes I wonder if the, it's like the zeitgeist that I'm, like, if the zeitgeist is this, or maybe if it's it's my personal journey. But I feel like this year that intention talk I've heard a lot Mm -hmm. um, and I like it because it's complicated. Like the, there's the one thing about the road to hell is paved with good intentions. But then um, this year, like I, and like a lot of people I know, instead of making resolutions, we're kind of clarifying intentions for the year, which I feel like is like a more sound way to do something because a resolution people break those because like life is not a resolution. Well, it's so static, right? When you say I'm going to make a resolution and I'm going to do this thing by this time, you're, you're creating this boundary for yourself. And then if you fail, then you do that like self-flagellation. But if you, if you say to yourself, I intend for this to go this way and I'm going to take the necessary steps to, to help that happen, then there's room for flow and there's room for, for, for things to change and grow and evolve. Um, you know, we're, we're growing as a society and with all of this like psychedelic use and like spiritual sort of co-opting, there's positives and negatives, right? Like we're, we are all kind of getting to a place where we're questioning the reality that we've been existing inside of and, and creating new paradigms and, and finding new ways to live. I mean, our generation certainly is like not living the way our parents did. Mm-hmm. You know, our, our thought processes are very different than our parents were. So, but I wonder if, um, the distinction that you just made between resolution and intention, there's a pretty clear distinction in ethics too. Like for example, do I focus on what I wanted when I did something, when I'm trying to decide whether it was good or not? Is my intention what counts? That would be the Christian approach, right? What matters is that you wanted good to happen. Or does what matter, you know, does it matter what actually happens? So for example, if I give a dollar to a homeless guy because I wanted to help him, my intention was good, but if he spends a dollar on something that's actually harmful to him, then is my does that make my act ethically good or bad? Like mm-hmm. what's more important, my intention in doing something or the effect that it actually has on people? Mm-hmm. And I think ethics used to be more focused on the effect, and now it seems like we're more focused on what we want when we do something mm-hmm. right which so is it becomes more about us right. and less about the actual effect of what we're doing and i i, I see a danger in that mm-hmm. yeah i think we should really consider first of all not not our intention but what we actually want 
you know, what the effect that we're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. If we focus on our intention, that it becomes just like a very introspective thing and anything could result from that. Mm -hmm. Just like you said, you know, the path to hell being paved with good intentions. Yeah, yeah. So I don't see it as necessarily a healthy thing. But then it's tricky because, like, you can't control outcomes either. That's Mm -hmm. like the the rub there. Sure. Is like even the best laid plans. Like, I, I think like the action, like, hmm intentions without actions and follow through i don't know yeah that's a i just wonder okay so to me it's more about what am i thinking about when i'm trying to decide whether or not i should do something Mm -hmm. Um, am i thinking about whether my intentions are pure or am i thinking about how this might actually play out and i think the more i think about how it might play out the more i'm likely to do something that's going to benefit other people the more i focus on my intention the more i'm just really focusing on if i'm going to feel good about myself if i mm-hmm. do this or not mm-hmm. so it's actually kind of a selfish approach to ethics yeah, i think i can appreciate that perspective a lot but like in terms so so there's an alternative to the giving the dollar to the homeless person example right like don't give the dollar go into a store and buy some food and bring it to the homeless man. And then you're like, the action becomes like a positive, like you are, you're creating a positive result by like just shifting, like your intention is to help and you want to help this person. You want to help them get food. Well, I'm not going to give you a dollar. I'm going to go and actually like take time out of my day to get you the food that you need. And I'm going to bring it to you and I'm going to serve you. I'm going to be of service to you. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, is another way of like, both of you creating a relationship together and feeling good. And then if you create a feel good relationship together, then that will ultimately ripple out to the other people around you. And in that way, like, you know, it, it's not selfish because also kindness. Like if you just give kindness, like whether you give the dollar or not, like either one, if you share kindness, I feel like there has to be a positive ripple effect. Right. We, we would hope. Yeah. I would hope. Unless none of it matters ultimately. And <laughs> another thing that you said earlier, that, um, <laughs> what, but it's another thing about intention, and it's being a popular term now too. That's also like an actor. That's like actor language. Yeah, right? that's true. Yep. It's interesting when when I'm, I was directing those scenes, and I'm like, focus on your intention, and then like, what's your intention in the scene about your intention? You know, so there's like the actor playing an intention of a character playing an intention, mm-hmm. um, and I wonder if. We've become kind of a society of actors to some extent. And this is like a, I mean, even in Plato's time, there was a critique that the democratic person is essentially an actor. We, we play all these different roles. And as, as we become more like that, we start adopting and co-opting the language of actor training. And it yeah. becomes our ethics mm-hmm. on some level. We're all like playing at being a good person instead mm-hmm. of actually doing the work of a good person or something. Yeah. I don't know. But the other thing is you talk about how those spiritual communities, and I experienced this growing up in a Christian church where... Like the common, you know, the common accusation is hypocrisy mm-hmm. in a Christian church. People are always trying to be nicer than they really are, trying to trying to be more Christ-like or whatever. Um, and then in a therapeutic community, you have the opposite. People are supposed to say exactly what they think and what they feel, and that's how therapy works. Mm-hmm. So how do those two communities come together into one cohesive approach? Like you have a, you have a community where people are trying to be better than themselves, and you have another, and then in the same community, they're also supposed to be saying what they really think. So what happens? Well, I mean, you're talking about like, that's humanity. <laughs> that, that is humanity. We are always fighting our higher self and our sort of base instinctual selves. This is, this is our, this is our work. This is, I think, why we're here experiencing this, like, you know, or having this like sentient experience being people is we're, we're being asked to both acknowledge 
our sort of instinctual natures and also be aware of what is what is greater than ourselves you know there's it's the balance the Tao right like finding a way to be to be in balance you know to be to be able to 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 bend and to sway but to also stay rooted to be able to lift and to ground it's like um, I think BKS Iyengar talks about it between earth and sky. He's, he talks about human beings as, you know, we're, we are, bet- we are, we live between earth and sky and, you know, that th- therapists and people in the spiritual community, like those are the two opposing viewpoints and we humans who utilize both of those, um, uh, modalities, I guess, are, trying to weave them together into this like tapestry that is a life and hopefully you know we can be our better selves for others for our communities for our families for each other um without hurting ourselves Um, yeah i mean i've done ayahuasca in a group that was much more the group that this play is based on, um, it was much more therapeutic use. So it was a talking cure kind of thing. Everyone took this form of ayahuasca that didn't induce vomiting, and they just sat around and talked all night um, about their problems. Uh, and that had a good side um, because it was very much open, and you know, like the, the the drug basically makes you open, um, not only to other people, but to recognizing your own faults and recognizing your own hidden intentions and things like that. It's very useful for that. Um, so there were very honest conversations. The downside to that kind of community is it becomes kind of like a giant gossip circle after a while. Everyone knows everyone's business, and they all talk about it endlessly. And the other community that I did it with, it was much more the spiritual side, um, where you weren't supposed to talk during the ceremony at all. Like, they, you weren't even allowed to. Um, and and I, I have to say, of the two, I felt like the breakthroughs that I saw were happening in the first community. So I really think like the therapeutic approach with the use of psychedelics is more useful. Mm-hmm. Because the spiritual approach, to me, it, it seems to almost encourage repression. Mm-hmm. You know, you're trying to repress the negative and feel positive. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't want to bring negativity, like you said. Mm-hmm. I don't know, what, what, what have your experiences been, if you want to discuss Well, that? I did it the, the one time, and it was, uh, it was interesting. I don't know... Like, so it was with a Colombian shaman and, uh, and he had facilitators also, and he, he was playing music through a lot of it. So it was a very, we weren't having, we had like the conversations in the morning. What do you call that? Like the The integration, the integration. Um, I forget what they called it, but we had that kind of thing. And like, one of my friends told me to bring my guitar. I'm not really a guitar. Like I can sing, I can sing and, and mess around on the guitar, but not to the point where I felt like plunking up some awkward chords on the guitar. Um, so it was, the music was happening the whole time. So it was communal in that sense. Um, I kind of went in with a clear question and kind of, yeah, you were talking about that opening that happens. I kind of got a clear answer, and it was sort of along the lines of not stop searching, but sort of, yeah, like start start listening to yourself. Like the thing you've been searching for 
you've been told many times. So now you need to start kind of the thing. You need to start putting it into practice and trusting it. And, um, and yeah, like for me, the opening that happened also like kind of, yeah, did kind of, I, I felt like spiritually elevated me for like, I felt like it lasted like a month or two after where, like I I didn't want to drink for a while after it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I experienced that too. Yeah, you just and, don't, it just doesn't taste good anymore. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like you don't like the way it makes you feel. Right? Yeah, and so then the argument of the medicine or not, like to me, I was like, oh yeah, like the thing they were telling me before about this is a medicine, not a drug. Mm-hmm. I very much felt that, like I had some visuals, but I didn't feel impaired on it. Like I felt mm-hmm. like I was seeing some things that were not there or maybe are there in a different field of vision and perception. Um, but I felt like it was like a healing circuitry of the mind kind of, um, did you like when, when you had the insight, how did it come to you? Was it through just like an internal monologue or? Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of an internal monologue and kind of just like you mentioned the lasers that you had and like that was like one of the things was seeing kind of the light interwoven into every inanimate and animate object like i noticed it first in people but then like when i looked around at the walls and the ground it was like yeah everything is atoms everything's um, made of light everything's made of light um so it was like i felt like i could see it um on this plane and yeah, and that was a powerful thing. Just sort of like, yeah, go. Just remember that when you're doing things. So yeah, stop stop drinking was a big one. And that's taken me a long time. Like I've been bartending in New York for years. Um, and this past year, finally, like starting off this year, like I might be done with, I mean, I don't, again, I don't know if it's a resolution. I'm just sort of at a point of like wanting to go, wanting to, you know, go step up and show up to life, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, if, that, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, you know, um, substances are, are like substances that alter our perception and our reality, whether it's alcohol or mushroom like psilocybin or marijuana i mean i think we have to be very careful with them um because they can become crutches and Mm -hmm. they can become like uh patterns the same way that negative emotions can become patterns right you create these grooves in your in the network of your mind and then you might not be addicted per se with something like alcohol certainly you you are i mean we all i'm sure know people who have severe alcohol issues um you know, again, I, th- I think keeping things very well in balance and really questioning, like, why am I doing this right now? Am I doing it to numb something in me that needs addressing, but I'm afraid to address it? Or am I in celebration? Am I using this, um, you know, I, because you could find that in, in, in any in any situation, in any substance, in coffee, in mm-hmm. Running, you know, I I have friends who are addicted to health and wellness in a way that feels really unbalanced to me. So, you know, I, again, like I think it becomes just this question of, um, what are you 
what are you using and why? And what are you trying to numb? And what are like, what needs to be unearthed in order to help you feel empowered and good so that you can be your best self for the greater community that you exist inside of? Um, Do you think uh, ayahuasca helps people with addiction? Because there's definitely evidence to show that yeah. psychedelic uh, treatments are very effective mm -hmm. for treating I think alcohol and smoking are the big ones. Just I've like even, breaking the addiction pattern. I mm -hmm. think I've heard even like heroin and crystal meth. Like, right. um, I, you know, I think they're studying that. But I've heard stories of some of those extreme drugs that people have a real. I mean, people have a hard time with alcohol and cigarettes. Don't get me wrong. Those are. I think the thing with those is those are socially acceptable. Um, but I've heard stories also of like heroin and those hard drugs that it's been the only thing to help some people get off. Mm -hmm. Who knows if it, you know, mm -hmm. I think they're studying if they that. stay off. That's the thing. Right? Yeah. Because there is like, there's a kind of an afterglow. I've experienced yeah. it too. Like whenever I take psychedelics, I always spend the next week thinking I should become a therapist or something because mm -hmm. that's the way your mind works after these experiences, right? You just, you're very empathetic and you feel like this overwhelming need to connect with people and to, solve your own problems and help people solve theirs. It goes away for me. Um, and then I go back to just writing about it. But, um, I wonder like where the, like the, the curative properties of psychedelics when it comes to addiction, like w what is it about them that helps us break, for example, a cycle of addiction and to alcohol? Is it, is it an insight you have or is it chemically something happening in I, your brain? Scientifically, when, when I was researching for Shanti, like there is like, um, something with psilocybin, um, it, it rides along the same, like if you imagine a freeway, like two freeways that ride right next to each other, psilocybin will ride right along next to the, the negative patternings that like for somebody who has PTSD. And so it opens up the channel and allows an opportunity for, for, for positive insights to live along that groove line. And it, it helps to, to reset, um, those neural pathways and and a lot of our behaviors as human beings are there because of um programming that we received by the time we're like three years old i mean i, I was reading an article that, that said that everything we know about um relationships we learn by the time that we're about three like everything that we've perceived in our experience, right? I, find, so, I, I think I was completely oblivious to relationships when I was three years old. I think I, I could see girls being much more attuned to what's going on around them. I was really interested in building with Legos. I don't know. Personally, I, I feel like my programming came later, but I have, yeah, I think we've actually even discussed yeah, that. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that that's true? I mean, I, I, I don't know because I don't know what I, rem I don't remember being three years old, but I think that like as a child, you are so receptive to energy. And I, I myself am really, really, really open to energy. Like I don't, I don't do a lot of psychedelics. I've never taken ayahuasca. I have done psychedelics, but when I, I often am around people who are on psychedelics and I feel high, um, because I'm hypersensitive to what, what's going on with other people. And that's, I'm not like, Oh, I'm an empath, whatever, you know, like that's not where I'm coming from. I just like, there's something about like absorbing the energy of people around me. Like I, I do it naturally, which is probably why I don't do a lot of psychedelics. Cause it like, I think it would maybe, um, 
mess me up. But in terms of your question about being, you know, three years old, I think that energy, um, is, is, is a really profound experience. When you walk into a room, you can feel what is going on between two people or five people. You know, the group dynamics, the second you walk in, cause you can feel the weight that's there. And as a child, you know, if you're watching people relate to each other and you're absorbing an energy, like, I don't see how that wouldn't affect you, um, on a really base level. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I did not study, you know, brain waves. Any, any education that I've received has been like self-taught. So I am not like a, an expert on any subject in terms of psychology. I just find it fascinating. What's also interesting, I think, is so the question of whether psychedelics are good, you know, for therapy and stuff like that. Uh, I think the other side of that is that even like Prozac and um, the different antidepressant prescriptions available right now they are helpful for some people, but it's not a one, like the drugs that are on the market are not a one pill fits all thing. Like some of, they do help some people, some people have a hard time with them. Mm -hmm. Um, so I do think, and some people like get addicted to, to the current medication, you know, or have like problems with those like side effects with those. So I do think psychedelics are worth, exploring and probably are definitely helpful for some people, you know, with respect, with respect. But also the thing you find with a lot of antidepressants, I had a very good friend who struggled with severe depression when I was in theater school and she went on some form of antidepressant and she became a lunatic. I mean, like she was awful, awful to people and she was completely numbed out from the world. And I don't think we see that with psychedelics when they're utilized in a way that is responsible and they're administered by people who know what they're doing in doses that are um, con considering the person before them, their weight, their height, uh, their experience with psychedelics, you see, you see people who, who are using uh, psychedelics are, are benefiting more than I think people who have used traditional medicines. Um, or at least in, in, in my experience, that's what I've seen. Mm -hmm. I, and I've had quite a few friends who've been on antidepressants. I'm not saying don't be on antidepressants right. because there are people who need them. And again, I'm not a, I'm not a doctor, so you know, I'm not prescribing anything. But the, I mean, the antidepressants treat the symptoms and psychedelics treat the cause. Mm -hmm. So the whole point of taking psychedelics is to have a breakthrough and you break the patterns that cause the depression. You reach through to the underlying trauma and you're able to confront it, like you said, in a way that's associated with pleasure. I think that's one of the nice things about mushrooms is that you're feeling kind of euphoric um, and then you have these and you have access to like deep traumatic memories and you can you can examine those memories in the light of some kind of pleasant feeling. Um, and that, that sort of, it, it gets rid of the negative connotations that they have in your mind. Part of the reason why you avoid traumatic memories is because they're associated with pain. But if you have a pleasurable experience where you dig into those memories, then somehow it becomes less painful for you to explore them later on. You can come and you know, you can have insights into them. 
I think those are the valuable things that I've taken from psychedelics when I've used them in a therapeutic setting was that ability to reexamine past trauma and work through it uh, and, and not have like an, you almost have like a Pavlov's dog response to negative memories and conditioning. It breaks that conditioning. Um, it's no longer associated with pain. It's just, it's just a fact that you've confronted and seen. Um, and I haven't taken antidepressants, so I don't know what it is, but the people that I have seen that have taken it, my general feeling is that, yeah, you're just throwing expensive medicine at the symptoms and you're just trying to alleviate the feeling of being depressed, but there's absolutely nothing. Um, there's, there's no cure there. You know, it's just, it's just putting off the inevitable, which is, I mean, if you're depressed, there's probably a reason. There's probably something you need to confront and psychedelics makes you confront it and antidepressants just reduce the feeling of having to confront. Mm -hmm. So I don't see how that helps at all really in the long term. Yeah. It's not a holistic approach, but we don't, I mean, that's how we deal with medicine yeah. in general, right? Like, Treat the Again, symptoms. I'm or, not saying if you get cancer, right. don't go to the doctor. Go to the doctor. Do what you have to do, but you can also introduce like healthy patterns into your lifestyle that can help your body do what it knows how to do naturally. And you know, getting getting under getting under something and and healing it is very different than putting a band-aid on it. Mm -hmm. Without sounding too much like a conspiracy theorist, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of money to be made. And, and from the, a medicine that you have to take constantly. Yeah. You know, that's pretty obvious. Yeah. You know, whereas psychedelics, part of the reason they don't want to legalize them is because they don't want people necessarily cured. Mm -hmm. um, we have a crisis of depression in this country. So many people are taking these drugs. Um, mm -hmm. And now if we just start legalizing something that can, in a few sessions, allow people to have a breakthrough that frees them from the need to take them for the rest of the, their lives, you know, that's a lot of money lost. Yeah. And the other thing is like the depression... The crisis of depression, uh, the rise of adult ADD. Because I was technically diagnosed. I did like an adult study uh, like three years ago. It was like right before I got married. Um, it was just something that popped up on Facebook. And I was sort of like, at that time, just kind of like feeling distracted and feeling like maybe I need to look at this. It's something that I had mentioned when I was like a kid and went through like a little bit of a depression and uh basically went through this thing and then yeah was technically diagnosed there's there've been things that have come out that are like ADD was kind of a made up thing mm -hmm. um the flip side of that though is i do think there's a collective ADD that we all have if we have smartphones in our pocket because this is like a new thing, this constant, you like, we have a device now mm -hmm. that when you're bored, mm -hmm. you can't just, I mean, you can go and just sit in silence or, you know, read a book, God read forbid. a, yeah. Um, watch nature. We have something that like when we're, or just like in a waiting room, right. instead of just sitting there Talk waiting, like letting yourself get bored we have something that constantly like pulls our attention. So yeah, there's a reason people are distracted, you know, yeah. like the 24 hour news cycle, yeah. the world that we're living in didn't exist 10 years ago, mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, depression. Well, and I mean, that's, it's what well, you're talking about is interesting. Cause it's, cause on one hand you're talking about ADD, which is, um, supposedly a disorder, 
Um, and then on the other hand, you're talking about like an imposed behavior now that we all are kind of existing inside it because of technology. And those are two sort of different things. And, you know, I, I have a nephew who, um, has struggled with ADD or what has been labeled ADD and in watching him sort of grow into a young man, I, I often wonder if it isn't him that's the problem, but the way that he's being taught and the way that he's um, being encouraged to experience the world, right? Yeah. Like we, we want to create a problem out of a behavior instead of going, okay, you learn differently. Mm -hmm. Why don't we, why don't we go and do this thing that might like captivate your attention? And then when you're, when you're ready to move on, like let's tackle another thing and, and work with the person uh, as they are instead of trying to make them wrong for who they are and then go, oh, you need medicine to make you like everybody else because we need everybody to be the same in our society, you know, so that they can be accepted. Um, and I, I find that to be um, a problem. You know, we're all expecting each other to be the same and to act the same and to process the information the same way. It's, it's, that seems crazy to me. Um, also because I, I felt that way growing up. I didn't learn traditionally, um, and I don't think of myself as an idiot, but growing up it was like, oh, know about Jessica <laughs> you know she doesn't apply herself what's going on with that one and it's funny because I feel like the people that kind of the people who took to like the traditional academic route mm -hmm. that you're quote-unquote like supposed to go through like if they kind of went through it by the book by the mm -hmm. numbers a lot of them are in trouble now mm -hmm. because the careers that were kind of promised don't exist mm -hmm. the same way also as they did before. So like our parents' generation, like you could, you know, go to school, go to college, get a job and work that job until you retired. Mm -hmm. And that's just majority of the time, not the case anymore. And so if you went through like education the way you were supposed to, that supposed to doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. You know, um, well, my brother is an example of that. He was in finance and he did everything he was supposed to do. I mean, he was the golden child, the eldest, super intelligent, aced everything. I mean, like he's just good at everything, but he was in finance. And in 2008, when the bubble burst, like they had this house, they ended up having to sell it. And he was like, I am miserable. And he started, uh, coaching women's volleyball and completely like changed his life. And he is happier now than I've ever seen him. I mean, like it, it was, it, it was like changed his whole world. And this is somebody who did everything right. Mm -hmm. Like my brother did everything the right way, put himself through college. Like he tracked and he was really unhappy. And yeah. now he's like really happy. He surfs every morning. He's coaching women's volleyball. He's got a good community. It's like he did everything and, right know, except figuring out what, what he, he wanted to do. Like, yeah. yeah and made him happy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's to bring it back around to this the idea of psychedelics, right? Like maybe that's one of the reasons that we're seeing it um, sort of uh, reemerge in, in terms of like getting people connected to their sort of real true inner desires like their hearts uh expression you know what they naturally are are gifted towards or are, are um 
you know, want, want to experience in the world as opposed to what the world tells them they should want to experience. Mm-hmm. It's very different things. So, um, a couple more shows left, uh, six shows left. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, what are you, you know, you could each take this one kind of, I remember Josh, when we talked last you said you had written another play, like kind of in the like winter break, um, the holiday season, if you will, um, right before I think your rehearsal started. What are you guys uh, excited about for the coming year? And this can be whatever, you know what I mean? Like acting, theater, um, or not. Like what are what are you excited about um, for the journey of twenty twenty? Uh, Well, one of the things that I did um, in the lead up to this show was for the past nine months, I've been uh, editing a review blog called Reviews from Underground, and I did a print edition of it uh, in the form of a comic book. It's got like the best of 2019. It's about 12 reviews in it from different reviewers. Uh, And then I distributed it at theaters throughout New York, and it's full of dummy ads for the journey. So they look like ads for various things, but they're actually... Each, each character is represented in one of the ads. So it's kind of like a giant ad for my play. And at the same, at the same time as it's something promoting um, off-off-Broadway theater. Because I really felt that with the, you know, with the Village Voice folding, it's very, very difficult to, to get any kind of print review uh, of an off-off-Broadway show. And I was trying to give people that opportunity. I might continue it. I'm not sure at this point if, um, because it was, you know, it's a big financial loss. You print something like that. I print a thousand copies and I had to run it all around on a bicycle. Um, so it was a fun experience. I don't know if it's something I'd want to do every month, for example. There was that. Um, I wrote over the holidays, I wrote a play in Polish. I spent like eight years in Poland. I went to, uh, I did philosophy in Krakow and then I went to film school in Łódź. Um, and I wrote a play recently about the Polish, uh, undocumented immigrants who were hired by Trump to demolish the the Bonwit Teller building to make way for Trump Tower. Uh, That was like an interesting sort of uh, story when Trump was first uh, running for president. I don't know how many people remember it now, but there was a big controversy around it at the time because of his, uh, you know, well, first of all, the fact that like in a president running against anti-immigrant, you know, anti-illegal immigration. He was, you know, he himself had hired a, a huge crew of illegal immigrants th- to demolish the buildings. So there was the hypocrisy of that. Um, I also, this is, this took place in the 80s. So I also, um, a lot of the events of solidarity and what was going on in Poland at the time is worked into this story. So that's something I'm, I'm translating in English now. I'm, I'm looking for a place to do it, maybe at La Mama. There's a couple other places I'm looking um, the show that I do have coming up for sure is in August. It's about Hiroshima, a play I wrote a year ago about the bombing of Hiroshima. The 75th anniversary of the bombing is coming up on August 6th. So uh, we're opening at Theater for the New City at the uh, ADC Chino Theater. Uh, that's going to be a three-week run. So that's the 6th to the 23rd of August, um, and that's going to be... I'm really looking forward to working on that. I'm going to try to work in some uh, some of the conventions of ancient Japanese no theater and maybe do some animation in the style of Japanese puppet theater, Bunraku. So those are, that's, those are kind of like the three big projects. that I, And I, I, as a living, you know, for a living, I'm, I'm a translator. I translate um, 
uh, just like for German corporations stuff in the English that's mainly what I do now for a living because I, I lose money every time I do one of these shows it's just the nature of nature of doing off off Broadway theater but I love it and I love living in New York so I'm just going to keep going as long as I can me what do I have planned ah! oh god I hate that question I really do. Why do you hate that question? Because I feel pressure to answer right the right way. Um, Is that as know. an actor? Um, as a person. As a person. <laughs> I just like if I had. I, I mean, I in a perfect world, I would be. Um, I would be on stage all the time. I would be singing. I would be dancing. I would be acting. You know, that's that's everything that I love is telling story. Um, I like I I've, I've said this to you the other day. Like I love shape shifting. I think it's such a special experience to get to live in somebody else's um, body, or to let somebody else live in my body. Right? Like to allow myself to just like kind of um, not be me. Like to 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 do my best to let my ego go away from me and and get to be somebody else for however long so what's next for me I don't know I mean hopefully another really interesting dynamic project um and in the meantime I'll just keep submitting and um you know playing music and doing my life enjoying my community yeah what kind of music do you play? Um, I sing mostly. Mm. I and occasionally I'll get inspired and I'll write a song and it comes through and I'm like, oh, that, that's actually really not bad. I'm um, I'm very shy about my writing. It, like you can see me on my whole body language if you guys could see me right now. It's like I feel very all of a sudden uncomfortable. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm shy about my writing, but I do love to write. I like to write poetry, but it's all very private. It's like a diary, almost like when I write songs. I, I share them with a few people. Um, so I don't know. I just love to sing. It makes me feel good. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it feels good. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah. And the beach, the beach, always the beach, always the ocean, always, always. Right now? Not right. I mean, if I could be yeah. in a warm ocean right now, yeah, you uh, you yes. would both never find me again. I would be like, see ya, I'll be in the water. <laughs> Swim with the fishes. I think there are people that surf year-round at Rockaway, like with yeah. crazy yeah. wetsuits or dry suits. Dry suits. Yeah. yeah. In the winter. Yeah. 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 Full, full headgear. They've got the booties. Yeah. It's, it's commitment. I'm, I'm, not that, I'm not that one. I mean, I need warm water yeah yeah that is the nice thing about you know it's frustrating to self-produce for a lot of reasons but it is nice not to have to because your future is dependent on auditions and whether or not you get a part or not and you just go out and make your own opportunities when you're producing Mm -hmm. but i was like encouraging you to do that too i mean i feel like if you got some actors together and you produce something on your own and you have that going, if there's nothing else, you know, Mm -hmm. that way there's always this momentum that you're building. And I've been trying to do that kind of my whole life. I haven't waited for somebody to accept my script and just be like, Oh, this is amazing. We want to produce it. And here's your royalties and just come opening night. I mean, 
Maybe that happens to somebody, but it's never happened to me. My experience has been that, and it's also been like incredibly beneficial to me that I've learned so much by having to do every aspect of production. I know mm -hmm. a lot about theater just because I've been forced to be a stage manager. I've been forced to run tech because I can't afford to pay somebody to do it, you know? So I've learned all these jobs and I think it's enriched my writing. And, mm -hmm. I, and, for, and I've done some acting too for kind of the same reason. Um, so I kind of encourage everybody to do that, whether mm -hmm. you're an actor or whatever it is that you do. I think you can only benefit from the experience of seeing what it's like to do every role mm -hmm. in a theater production. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, you're, I, like, I really, you're amazing that way. I, um, yeah, I, probably I could stand to <laughs> talk some of that. No, but I think anybody can do it. It's just a question of, you know, finding a theater, renting it for a weekend, for example. Like the first place I did in, in New York, they charged... I think it was like twelve fifty for a weekend or something. Mm -hmm. So you got five performances. Yeah, you'll lose probably six, seven hundred dollars. Um, get a couple actors together, do a play you like, two hander, whatever it is. Um, and uh, and it's just it's just so much better than just sitting and waiting for that phone call. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know? yeah, it's true. Yeah, I uh, I talked to somebody yesterday, the day before actually, and he he was uh, most recently in. Um, Halfway Bitches Go Straight to Heaven, which is uh, the new Stephen Alley Gurgis play. Hmm. So it's like the Labyrinth Theater Company um, that Stephen Alley Gurgis and Philip Seymour Hoffman and some other people. But he he was his story was inspiring because he like did everything for that company for like eight years, house managed, uh, like whatever it was, like not not even relating to acting. Mm -hmm. um, but then by doing all of those different things, that's how he became a company member. member. Yeah. And when you're doing all those things, I think it's interesting. You don't, you never know what you're doing, like how it's like that outcome yeah. thing, like what the outcome is going to be. But yeah, but doing, doing things, things do come out of it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Being, just being a part of the community. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've worked, you know, I've worked costumes and I've done fashion styling and I've done production. Like I've done, I know I'm capable of doing all of that work. Um, I, I know what it is to do it. I, I think it's not something that I naturally gravitate towards or want to do, which is why I, I kind of shy away from doing it, but <laughs> I don't I, really want to sweep floors either, but I do it. You know, <laughs> I, I, I know, sweep the I theater. Know, I know, I know. No, no, just the wisdom of a fortune cookie. Uh, recently, um, I was before I was going to do this print edition of reviews from underground. It was a lot of work, and I was like, "Why am I doing this stuff? This isn't what I, I don't want to be a reviewer. This is not what I really just want to write plays. I don't even want to direct necessarily." Um, and when, when I get in a state like this, I like to consult the oracles or whatever. If it's the I Ching, in this case, it was a fortune cookie, and the, the cookie was—I think it was one of the better ones I've ever gotten. And it said, uh, "You know, think about what you want to do, and then do what you have to do." And I feel like that's the advice that I would give anybody in this field. None of us really want to do half the things that are connected with making a production happen. But if we don't do those things, then the production doesn't happen and we lose an opportunity. Um, and I, I really appreciate when I work with actors like Jessica, who, who you know, appreciate what the producer is actually going through to try to make this happen. They appreciate that the producer is losing a lot of money and, you know, and he's not really getting... Maybe gets a review or two out of it. The show closes. I can't even record it because this is like an equity uh, showcase. So I can't even have a reference video of this. It's just gone when it's closed. And all we've got is a few reviews. Um, and that's it. So when, when actors appreciate and there's like a company mentality where we all are trying to help make this happen, that's, 
that's a huge thing. Um, and it's really greatly appreciated. And I know a lot of producers go through this too. Some actors come to it with this mentality that, um, well, I'm just here to act and then, and that's it. You know, I understand that, but um, the reality of the field that we're in is that th this is not a money-making field until you get to a very high level. And when we decided to go into this field, I think we, we kind of, I think we have to be, we have to be realistic about our expectations. And we have to recognize that in order for theater to even exist, because people aren't willing to pay what they would need to pay for it to be a profit-making enterprise, in order for it to even exist, we all have to contribute. We have to, it has to be a collective. And that's why, like, the group is called Yellow Bicycle Collective. It's, I'm just trying to get people together that really want to make theater, you know, and, and recognizing the difficulties that we face, especially in New York. Yeah, and lend your skill sets to that in whatever way you can, you know, at, at any point. It's important. Yeah, chocolate making, you know, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. That's, uh, you know. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Um, <laughs> without spoiling, if you like chocolate, you should maybe check out the show, The Come. Journey. Come and see it. The Journey. It's so fun. Yeah. Um, do you guys have anything else you want to talk about? I'm, just, I'm curious what I mean you probably talk about this on your own because it's your podcast but you know what are you working on these days where are you going uh good question um Hi. I was actually thinking as we were talking about this the next thing that I know for sure is I'm gonna be part of a web series that's actually about um, mental health mm. um and when I was talking it's kind of a comedy um so I'm playing I think a lot of the I'm, I am playing somebody with schizophrenia, but who's like kind of an activist trying to raise awareness and make it less of a stigma. Um, so one of my, the conversations I had with them was kind of what is this for? Because if it was if it was about making fun of people, then then I would have misgivings about it. Mm -hmm. But it's actually a lot of people involved with it have their own mental health issues so it is using comedy to hopefully uh destigmatize the talk of mental health which is super important to me um and something i've been thinking about since the add thing and kind of since confronting um depression i've never had like crippling depression i've had <laughs> crippling heartbreak before um that's not quite the same thing as like depression but i think i've uh yeah, um, struggled with depression at times. And I think for me, um, whether it's through uh, ayahuasca, psychedelics or not, um, confronting it is the most important thing. And so working on that. Um, but yeah, but other than that, it's um, kind of that question. Yeah, it's not. Uh, it's not always fun to talk about what's next as an actor because because just so much of it is unknown like mm -hmm. there's these possibilities there's these things you know you're waiting on to like maybe come out at some point right. um but uh one of the things i was excited about last year was the idea of like failure um failing to succeed mm. And so one of the things, like failing forward, failing um, so that you, like, you fail a lot of times to succeed eventually. Right. Um, and 
So acting is tricky because it's a lot of rejection. It's a lot of no's. But if you flip it around um, the same way acting language is being used, like kind of in the mainstream, if you flip it around, you have the opportunity to fail over and over again. And like, if you don't, if you don't let it like defeat you, right. Um, it can make only make you better. So it's like, if I'm not, yeah, if I'm not currently rehearsing a play, what am I doing every day? Right. Am I reading a play? Am I am reading I a play? Talking am to I writing? Am I cultivating relationships? Am yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, um, that's what I'm doing. Um, I'm training, uh, where do you train? Uh, a number of places there's, so because I like started like professional acting in like the musical theater, um, I, that's part of my skill set. That's not really what I want to focus on per se. However, one of my favorite teachers in New York is this woman, Jen Waldman, and she's a Broadway veteran and she's very much about empowering actors. And she had a huge effect on me last year, um, this class shift. And I'm part of a 10 week program that she's doing right now. It's kind of more on the mindset and on the marketing Mm -hmm. and on the, how to take ownership as an actor. Mm. Um, and then I'm also going to be doing like a musical theater class with her next month to work on the artistic side. Um, because it's, you know, I think you have to work on your, you have to use your strengths also. So, well, that's this. I mean, those are good paid roles too. Yeah. Yeah. Have you so. done any like touring? Not really. Like, like well, the way I got my, um, equity card was, Back in the day in Seattle, it was a production at the Fifth Avenue Theater, the Ordway Center. Um, and it was like a third of the cast is from New York, a third from Seattle, and a third from Minnesota, where the Ordway was. Um, so because it wasn't a tour, but we performed it in Seattle and Minnesota. Um, yeah, I'd do a tour, whatever. Um, the thing is, though, I would not want to do like a, I don't think, I mean, I'm sure I would learn something, but my intention would not be to do like a six month tour of Oklahoma or something. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, there's that show Hamilton. Um, that, that would be more in line. Are they touring? Oh yeah. They have, they have like, they have a production in Chicago, like a resident production. I think they might have one in LA they have one, I think, in London. I think they have one in, in Tokyo, maybe now. And then they have, like, various tours. Um, and that's, like, a lot of the musicals. Um, yes. But, yeah, also, I'm a member of Shelter Theater Company. I've told you a little bit about it. Um, I, I invite everybody to this company just because it's a really good um, regular lab. Is it here in cool. Bushwick? Where is it? No, um, we meet in... We might be changing locations, but for the last 10 years, they've met at the Terry Schreiber Studios in New York, on, on in Manhattan. On, oh, good. Uh, cool. Yeah, because I come from Astoria. But I would like to go. You mentioned that they have like a reading. Yeah. They do play readings. Oh, yeah. Cool. Shelter, um, you said? Shelter Theater Shelter Company. Theater Company. Um, yeah, once the show's over, I'll check it out. Yeah. <clears throat> and, yeah. And then this podcast is to have conversations with 
you know, fellow artists like the two of you. Yeah. Um, thanks and for having us on, man. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's thanks. Um, talking to you. Let's just say the dates one more or yeah days come, of the week come to the tank for the journey uh tomorrow tonight there's a show 7 p.m tomorrow sunday matinee is three o'clock and then next weekend and then we close so don't miss the opportunity to come and see it it's a really great piece great actors really well written just so fun can you do a few lines from the opening monologue and you can breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth in through the nose and out through the mouth. Thanks. Um, <laughs> oh, and where's the best place for people to 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 find you to follow you? Um, I have a website, uh, jessicavanneal.com, or you can follow me on Instagram for what it's worth. Uh, my last name is V A N N I E L. Um, yeah, you can find me there. And you? Uh, JoshuaCrone.com. Uh, I'm on Facebook out of necessity. I have an Instagram account, but I haven't really done anything with it yet. Um, I, cause I just like to text based things more. And, uh, and the company's called Yellow Bicycle Collective. So it's yellowbicycle.org and reviewsfromunderground.com is the, the blog that reviews off, off Broadway place. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Um, yes, probably when this comes out, it'll be probably Thursday. All yeah. right. So then you've got one weekend <laughs> to see The Journey. <laughs> www.thejourneyplay.com. We'll see you there. And the links will be in the show notes as always. Thank you very much Thanks, for Alex. sitting down. So that was my conversation with Joshua Crone and Jessica Van Neal talking about their play, The Journey. And this is, in fact, coming out February 21st. So if you're listening to this right now as it comes out, their play is running tonight at 7 o'clock, tomorrow at 7 o'clock, Saturday, and then closing Sunday at 3 p.m. matinee. The links for that are in the show notes, so check that out and go get some chocolate and enjoy a fun play. Have you thinking about some things. I hope that on your journey in 2020, you are taking steps forward to make your dreams a reality. Um, yeah, it's a journey, not a destination. Um, while the play is uh, dealing with psychedelics as therapy and stuff like that, um, which I've definitely experimented with myself, I'm actually on a sober journey right now so far this year, and I'm enjoying that. And I encourage whatever's healthy for you for you to find that and build on that um practice martial arts uh thank you so much for listening uh, check out joshua crone and jessica van neal follow them after this support the work of artists in new york city and and you make some work you make some art or support artists um thank you so much for listening to the bushwick variety show New episodes will come out again next week. Thank you for being here. Have a good one. Peace. Peace.